morning. Today, um, we are going to wrap up our series that we began a few weeks ago entitled Relationship Rules. And I hope that you've kind of been learning and growing through this. I hope it's added some value, some practical tools kind of in your toolbox uh, to hopefully help you continue to cultivate what we're just simply calling life giving relationships. So today, uh, let's just kind of revisit a qu couple quick thoughts this morning. The first one is simply this, the quality of your life will be greatly determined by the quality of your relationships, right? If you want to raise the level of your living, you're going to have to raise the level of the quality of relationships that you're in. So every relationship in your life is either an asset or a liability. It's adding to or taking from your life and the life that God has called you to live. So if relationships rule, we ask the question, then what are the rules for relationships? I want to look in Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 16. This has kind of been our foundational scripture. In Ephesians 4, 16, Jesus is talking about the local church. He's talking about ministry within the body of Christ and how that we're supposed to serve one another and help one another and how that we grow together. And then he says this in verse 16. He says, and he, speaking of God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. How many know that you actually fit at church? Come on, somebody. You actually fit. You have a place in the body of Christ, and we were created to fit together. So whether you're in the room or you're watching online this morning, you were created to fit. God has joined us together so that we can fit together perfectly and be a part of something he calls the kingdom of God, which is a pretty awesome thing, by the way. And then he says this. He says, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Look at that next point. We said healthy, growing, and full of love are the results of a life-giving church, but they are also the rules for life-giving relationships. When we measure our relationships by these standards, we're able to discern what each relationship requires in order to be life-giving. And that's really what we've been talking about. How do we cultivate life-giving relationships? How do we look at the relationships that we're in? If every relationship is either adding value or devaluing my life, how do I look at those relationships? And how do I make the necessary adjustments so that my relationships can become healthy, growing, and full of the love of Jesus? And so today, we're going to kind of look at that last element. We're going to look at how the love of God really does become a measuring rod through which we evaluate whether our relationships are healthy and growing and pursuing what God has for us in our lives. So look at that next point. If you're a note taker, it's your first point on the outline. So before we talk about how love impacts our relationships, I want to give you just a simple definition of what is love. So love is more than a feeling. I'm so thankful for the emotions of love. I'm thankful for the feelings of love. I'm thankful for the passions of love. But I want you to understand something today. If you've been around the block any amount of time, you've already probably figured it out, right? Love is more than a feeling. There are feelings and passions and emotions that are connected with loving relationships, but love is more than a feeling. As a matter of fact, biblically, when we look at the scriptures, we find out that love is actually the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And that next statement is pretty important because without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for a person to love. 
That's a pretty bold statement. I'm going to kind of drill down a little deeper into that because you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Keith, you know, I know a lot of people don't know Jesus. You know, there was a time in my life before I came to know Jesus, and I love people. I love my family. I love my spouse. I love my kids. So how can you say that without being born again and having the Spirit of God in my life, how can we say that you really can't love people? Well, let me give you a couple scriptures, then we're going to drill down a little deeper into that thought. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such there is no law. And Romans 5 verse 5 says this, And this hope, the hope that we have in Christ, will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. So I want you to hear what Paul says in Romans 5. First of all, he says, the way that we know that God loves us, well, there's really two ways. Number one, hopefully we know God loves us because Jesus died on the cross for us. But secondly, Paul says, the way that we really know that God loves us is because the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And the Holy Spirit that dwells in us fills our hearts with the love of God. How I many you know that love, if you were to measure the love of God by your circumstantial evidence, then there would be some days it would seem like God doesn't love you, right? Because some days are amazing and some days are horrible. Some days are wonderful and some days are awful. Some days you wish you could relive over and over again and some days you never wish you lived one single time, much less having to go through that again in your life. Why? Because if you measure God's love by circumstances, you're going to have a messed up view of the love of God. And the reason that is true is because the circumstances of your life are dramatically affected by people. <laughs> and how many of you know good people? How many of you know godly people with a sincere heart and a genuine desire to serve God and love people actually still mess up? <laughs> we actually still sin and come short of the glory of God. Sometimes we lose our temper. Sometimes we say things we wish we hadn't have said. Sometimes we do things we wish we hadn't have done. And it's not really our heart. It's not our passion. It's not even the way we consistently live our lives. But we all come short of the glory of God. So it's impossible for me to measure God's love by how three people treat me or how the circumstances of my life unfold. So the Apostle Paul says, this is how you know the love of God. This is how God affirms His love in your life. He gives you the person of the Holy Spirit, and through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, God pours out His love in your heart. So that on the worst day of your life, there's something in you that still says, God loves me. You ever had those days? You ever had those worst days, those bad days, those days you never wanted to relive? And if you're a born-again believer in, Je in Jesus Christ, and if you were listening, guess what you heard? In the midst of your lowest, darkest moment, you sensed the fact that God still loved you. Life was horrible. Life was bad. Circumstances were unbearable. But there was something deep inside you that just gave you an assurance that you were still loved. Man, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, in, in the Bible, the Bible uses four words to describe love. A Hebrew and a, a couple Hebrew and a couple Greek words. I'm, I'm going to kind of run through them real quickly. The Bible talks about that there is what's called a friendship love, a, a phileo love. It's where we get Philadelphia brotherly love. And so, so there's a friendship love that's a pretty real thing. And then there's, there's also what's called a family love, right? Moms are supposed to love their kids and dads are supposed to love their kids and families kind of supposed to love each other, right? Kind of supposed to. 
And then there's an, an eros love. It, it's the sexual love. It's the passionate love, right? It's that, it's that I ain't got to say anything more. Y'all know what that is, right? <laughs> you never hear a woman say amen on something like that. But praise God for men. And then there's the fourth kind of love, which is called, in the Greek, it's agape love. It's what we call the God kind of love. As a matter of fact, every time in the New Testament that you read the word love in description of God's love, it is, it is almost every time used as agape love. Agape love describes the love of God. It's a sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that actually puts the needs of other people in front of the preference of your own heart and your life. And what we want to see today from Scripture is that when the Bible says we need to be healthy, growing, and full of love, it means we need to be healthy, growing, and full of agape. It's the God kind of love that empowers us to have the relationships that God intends us to have. Look at our next point. I'm going I'm to drill down a little bit deeper with you. See, God's love, I want you to hear this, is the spiritual glue that, co- that keeps us connected in healthy, life-giving ways. It's the spiritual glue that keeps us connected in healthy, life-giving ways. Colossians 3.14 says this. It says, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Clothe yourself with agape, with the love of God. Why? Because it's the love of God that binds us together. It's the love of God that glues our hearts together. It's the love of God that creates harmony and unity in our lives that allows us to have healthy, growing relationships that are full of the love of God. Now, now something interesting the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, Keith, he said, it's the agape love of God that sanctifies every other aspect of love. So let's think about that for a second. So there's friendship love. How many know that, that in the world, man, we got some good friends? Anybody got some good friends? You ought to say amen. Yes, thank you, Jesus, right? And friendship love is awesome. But probably everybody in this room has probably been in a friendship relationship where one person did all the giving and one person did all the taking. <laughs> you ever been in any of those little friendships where one person's doing all the giving, the other person's doing all the taking, and that is not really a healthy relationship? And so all of a sudden we begin to recognize something. We begin to recognize that in the world everybody wants to be your friend until you have nothing left to give them. We've all seen those relationships. We've all been in those relationships. Maybe we were on the good side. Maybe we were on the bad side. Maybe we were the person doing the taking. Let's be honest. We're not as all holy as we look as we are today, right? Y'all look pretty holy, but I know you're not. Come on, somebody. I'm not either. It's okay. That's why we're in church. We all need Jesus. Amen? So, so here's the realization. You recognize that it's the agape love of God that comes into a friendship and it sanctifies that friendship relationship and makes it a life-giving relationship where now it's not about just one person giving, one person taking. Now we have this mutual exchange where there's a genuine care and compassion for one another. And we have a friendship now that can survive and create longevity. So you'll really probably never have long-lasting relationships without the love of God because somewhere along the line we self-destruct. And it's the love of God that enables us to care for people and treat people the way that we actually ourselves really want to be treated. When Jesus gave us the golden rule, said treat others the way you want to be treated, he was pretty much level in the playing field and say, hey, here's the key to having great relationships. Just treat people the way you want to be treated and awesome things will really begin to happen in your life. Because everybody will actually want to be your friend. 
So you think about friendships and how the love of God sanctifies that. You think about family relationships. And, and what's, what's interesting, let me, let me just share something with you. This is interesting. Holy Spirit just showed me just this morning. He said, Keith, he said, think about the most dysfunctional families you can think about. We all have dysfunction, right? Everybody's dysfunctional. But we all know there are some dysfunctional families out there. And Kelly and I, after 31, 30 years, almost 30 years of pastoral ministry, we've heard some horror stories of how parents have treated kids and kids have treated parents and siblings have treated siblings and aunts have treated nieces and nieces have treated cousins. I mean, there are some horror stories of how family treats family, right? And we all probably know some of those stories. We've probably all been a part of some of maybe those dysfunctional stories. But this, this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, he said, do you realize that if you were to ask some of the most dysfunctional families you know, if you were to ask that mama that abused her kid, if you were to ask that addict that abandoned his child, because of an addiction. If you were to ask them, do you love your kids? You know what they would say? With all their heart, they'd say yes. They'd say, yes, I love my kids. And here's the crazy thing. They're not lying. They're telling the truth. But without the love of God, that family love becomes conditional. And I love you as long as you can help me. And I long as love you as long as you can add value to me. And I love you as long as you don't get in the way of the thing that I really want to do. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's another relationship. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's a hobby. And when those people say, I really love my family, we look at it and we're like, you're lying. That's crazy. You don't love your family. You, you allowed addiction. You allowed this. You allowed abuse. You allowed all these things to come between you. But in their heart of hearts, they feel like they, they feel love. Oh, I love them. I'm abusing them, but I love them. I'm abandoning them, but I love them. I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting them, but I'm loving them. Because without the love of God, family love gets distorted, disrupted, and perverted really quick. Then when you think about sexual love, intimate love, relational love, when it comes to sex and intimacy. See, when God, when, when God the, the love of God sanctifies sex, let me tell you why. Because God puts sex in the context of marriage. And when God says the only way to have righteous sex, y'all didn't know we were going to have this much fun in church today, did you? <laughs> the only way to have righteous sex is to be married. When God said that, God wasn't trying to withhold some pleasure from us. God was actually trying to protect us. From a culture where sex is everywhere and everything, and we got more broken, more wounded, more hurting people than ever before. Because free sex means I can get wounded consistently and continually. And I'm going to probably carry some baggage with me for the rest of my life unless I meet Jesus, who's the only one that can really heal those wounds. See, it's the agape love of God that sanctifies that sexual love, that eros love, and puts it in a context where all of a sudden it gives life instead of creating voids and wounds and death in people's lives. So it's the agape love that sanctifies every other element of love that we have in our lives. So let's look at 1 Corinthians. I, we're going to do something today. Y'all still with me? Everybody good? So what does it mean for, uh, 
a relationship to be full of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you're any kind of Bible student or Bible scholar or you've read the Bible anytime, you're probably familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter, right? And almost every wedding that I do, I read in some form or fashion part of 1 Corinthians 13. Now, let me tell you something interesting about 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 has nothing to do with marriage, it has nothing to do with dating, and it has nothing to do with romance. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13 is all about ministry. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to read just a little bit of it. 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about the operation of those gifts within the context of the local church. And 1 Corinthians 13, he sandwiches in this whole chapter on love, and he tells us what we're going to see today, that love is the highest goal. That love elevates things. As a matter, it, is, it is love. It is the love of God, the agape love of God that sanctifies our gifts, that sanctifies our ministry, that sanctifies our marriage, that sanctifies our friendships, that sanctifies our relationships. And without that love, Paul says, if I give my body to be burned and I have all faith and I can move mountains and I can prophesy like nobody else has ever seen and I don't have love, then it is nothing. So Paul sets us up by giving us this definition of love. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read the end of that chapter. Remember when, when the Bible was written, it wasn't written in chapter and verse, by the way. It says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. He said, hey, we all got different gifts, different talents, and different abilities. Look what he says in the next verse. He says, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. He said, you know what's better than all the gifts of the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 13, love. Because it's love that sanctifies those gifts. It's love that sanctifies the ministry. It's love that causes something that could become a two-edged sword, right? We've all seen churches go weird. We've all seen ministry go weird, and we've all seen weird people. Come on, can I get an amen? Y'all with me? Because anything can be perverted, and it is the love of God that sanctifies who we are and what we do so that it is no longer, so that it, so that it becomes a life-giving vessel that empowers and blesses every person connected to it. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at verse 4. He says here, so love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It does not keep record of, of being wrong. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, look what he says. Let love be your highest goal. This is what I want to do for the rest of the message. i got about 11 minutes. I want to take 1 Corinthians 13, and I want to break down the context of love from the Scriptures into the context of relationships and see how that the love of God can bring, can come into every relationship that we have, and it can elevate it to its highest level. And it can empower us to live our lives in a way greater than any other way we could live. So look at that next point on your outline. So a life-giving relationship filled with love 
the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, is patient and kind. God's love empowers us to overcome selfishness and to consider the other person's need. God's love is patient and kind. I, I was thinking about this this week and praying over it, and the Lord just reminded me of something. How many, how many military folks we got in the house? Got any military folks in the house? All right, a couple of you. Awesome. Well, uh, I've never been in the military, but I've talked to some smart military people. Here's some wisdom I've got. So the Lord reminded me of something. He said, Keith, do you realize that joining the military and getting married is very similar? I said, what do you mean by that, Lord? He said, well, when you join the military and you get married, if you're a man specifically, you got to learn how to hurry up and wait. <laughs> In the military, I'm told there's a lot of hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. Well, guess what? When you get married, 31 years of marriage, I've had to learn how to hurry up and wait. Hadn't a baby. I'm pretty good at it. Pretty good. Not great. Pretty good. How many of you know that Patience is one of the greatest expressions of love. It's the willingness to put another person's need over your preference. Patience and kindness really work together because they just magnify the glory of the love of God. I'm so glad God's patient. Jesse was leading worship at our 8 o'clock service this morning, and Jesse made this statement. He said, I'm so thankful that God didn't kill me. I mean, let's be honest. If you really got what you deserve, God would have killed you a long time ago. But I'm so thankful God didn't kill me. I'm so thankful that he is so patient and he is so kind that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Every time God is patient, the Bible says God is not slow concerning his promise, but he is patient and long-suffering. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every time I get a hurry for Jesus to come back, the Lord reminds me of that scripture. He says, don't hurry me up because I'm waiting on somebody maybe you've been praying for. He's patient. He's kind. That's love. Love is willing to hurry up and wait. Love, love empowers us to overcome selfishness. How many of you have recognized that selfishness is a ticking time bomb that will destroy your relationships? 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and the statistic in the church is the same as the statistic outside the church, which is tragic. And here's the realization. The moment you get selfish, you will self-destruct. You'll blow up your marriage. You'll blow up your friendship. You'll blow up your work relationships. You'll blow up your church relationships. You'll just blow it up. Why? Because selfishness is a seed of greed that destroys everything it touches. But love is patient and kind. And love allows me to overcome selfishness. Love allows me to all of a sudden begin to consider the needs of other people. It doesn't come natural, it comes supernatural. <laughs> How many know by nature we're, self, we're selfish? By spirit, <laughs> we're patient and kind. So the love of God is patient. Look at that next point. A life-giving relationship filled with love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. What's interesting is when Paul begins to describe love, he actually starts telling us in this verse what love is not. So sometimes the best way to understand what something is is to recognize what it's not. So look what he says. Love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. And love is not rude. Jealousy is not love. Now, as I was praying over that scripture, 
I was reminded of a scripture in the Bible that says God is jealous over us with a godly jealousy. And so immediately I said, okay, Lord, there must be two types of jealousy. He said, there is. He said, there's a godly jealousy that's rooted in love. And he said, when there's a godly jealousy, you desire to protect the people that you care about. How many know God is jealous over you in the sense that he'll fight for you? How many mamas in the house? Man, there's nothing as scary as a mama bear. Kelly's five foot two, 110 pounds, soaking wet. Right? And if you mess with our kids or grandkids, you are in trouble. I mean, fangs, claws come out. I mean, she becomes, she's like, please don't say that. Y'all know it's true of all your wives too, right, guys? I mean, mama bear is tough. You know why? There's a godly jealousy there that says, I'm going to fight for my kids. They may be wrong, I'm going to fight for them, and I'll whoop them when I get home, but I'm still going to fight for them. (laughs) But then there is a sinful jealousy that's not love. So the love of God, which is jealous over you, protects you and fights for you. But a sinful jealousy wants to control and manipulate and isolate you. And we've all seen that too. We've seen people get in relationships and all of a sudden they get in a relationship and they start disappearing. (laughs) And they can't talk to anybody and they can't hang out with anybody and they can't go anywhere. And the person they're in that relationship says, well, I really just love you. Well, no, what they really mean is I'm really just controlling and manipulating and isolating you because I'm going to suck you into my world and you can't have anything outside of me. That's unhealthy and toxic, guys. And if you're in that kind of relationship, that needs to ring a little bell and you need to say, hey, I need to maybe step back and maybe I need to invite some people in because this is not going in the direction it needs to go. Godly jealousy will protect will fight for me, but a ungodly jealousy will control and manipulate and isolate me from all the people in my world that care about me. Love is not boastful. Love is not pride, proud, and love is not rude. Let me give you another definition for rude. It's called sarcasm. And I understand we poke and we play and we have fun and we do all those things, but how many of you understand there comes a little place where you cross a line with that sarcasm? And you kind of stick that spear in there, and then you step back and say, oh, I was just kidding. And they're like, yeah, but I still feel the wound. That's not love. Love's not tearing other people down. Love's not destroying relationships and undermining the value and the worth of other people. And then Paul goes on. Look what he says. Look at that next point. He says, a life-giving relationship filled with love does not demand its way, is not irritable, and keeps no record of wrongs. It does not demand its way. Now, now Paul's not talking here about making a decision between what is sin or what is righteousness. No, he's talking about preferences. He's talking about preferences. How many know we all have our own preferences? And so here's what the Bible says about love. Love does not demand its way. We've all probably been in relationships with people where unless you did what they wanted to do, went where they wanted to go, and ate what they wanted to eat, you couldn't be in a relationship with them. (laughs) Because either they got their way or they weren't your friend. That's not love. Love is willing to yield. The Bible says in the book of James that the wisdom that's from a God, from God, is willing to yield. It's full of the love of God. It yields. It says, hey, you know what? I don't always have to get my way. 
Again, we're not talking about sin and righteousness. We're just talking about preferences. And when you think about life-giving relationships that are healthy, growing, and now full of love, then there's this give and take. I, I love when you ask somebody, where do they want to go eat? Y'all ever do that? Ask somebody, where do you want to go eat? And they all say the same thing, I don't care. And they don't care until you say, well, let's go here. And then nine times out of ten, they say, well, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Thirty seconds ago, you didn't care where we ate. <laughs> See, there's this tendency that we all have. That we want our way. That's not love. Love is not irritable. I love that little phrase. And the Lord just gave me this illustration. He said, Keith, if, if people have to walk on eggshells around you, then you're not walking in love. If the people in your life don't know what kind of person they're going to get when they come home today, and so they automatically step in the house, and they're like, honey, you know, <laughs> good day, bad day, what kind of person? That's not love. Man, that, that automatically disconnects people. That automatically creates tension in a relationship that was intended to be life-giving instead of stress-building. Because you know what happens when you have to walk on eggshells around people most of the time? You just stop going around those people. Because love is not irritable. And then he goes on there in that last little part of that verse right there. He says, and love keeps no record of wrongs. How many glad there's such a thing called forgiveness? <laughs> I'm so glad that when I go to God in prayer, God doesn't remind me of all the things I've messed up on over the last 25 years. Well, do you remember when you did this? you remember when you did that? I can't believe you want me to help you here because don't you remember what I did 20 years ago? We need to forgive. Love forgives. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you say you've forgiven somebody, you need to stop reminding them about it every time. Something happens in your life. Because that's what love is. Love forgives. Look at that next point. A life-giving relationship filled with love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Does not rejoice about injustice. Let me tell you a phrase you need to remove from your vocabulary. I told you so. Oh, I told you. I, I told you you shouldn't have done that. I knew it was going to blow up in your face. I knew that was going to cost us. I told you. I told you. Every time you say, I told you so, you know what you're actually doing? You're rejoicing in injustice. You're rejoicing in the fact that something blew up in somebody's face. And you're like, I was right and you were wrong. Party. <laughs> That's not love. Love does not rejoice in injustice, but love rejoices when the truth wins out. Kelly and I have been married 31 years. Early on, by the grace of God, early on in, in our, our married life, by the grace of God, the Lord gave us some wisdom that, that just was His goodness. And so when we get in disagreements and we've had more than our fair share and we have them blow ups and we have all the stuff you guys have in your house, okay? We decided a long time ago that, that, that we're going to figure out how to work through it. And so if, if we can't agree over a disagreement, then we'll take some time to get alone and pray and seek the Lord. And it's amazing if you'll really take some time to get alone and pray and seek God, what God will say to you 
Most of the time he says, Keith, you're wrong. That's usually what he says when I get along <laughs> with him. I'm just hoping he's telling Kelly the same thing, you know. <laughs> but we, 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 have, we have consistently done that over 31 years of marriage, and we have consistently overcome disagreements and challenges. Now, something that we implemented years ago is, is we came to a, 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 a point where we couldn't agree on what we disagreed about. And I think this only happened twice, and Kelly's looking at me like she's blind, and she don't know what I'm going to say here. So... <clears throat> We, we're under authority. March the 5th, Brother Rod and Mary Aguilar are going to be here. And if you've never been a part of their ministry, you need to come. Clear your schedule. Mark the calendar. March the 5th, 930 to 1230. It'll be amazing. We'll laugh. We'll cry. It'll be awesome. Brother Rod will keep us laughing. I promise you it'll be good. Yeah. But, but they've been in our lives for a little over 15, probably going on 18 years now. And so we hit an impasse where we couldn't, get, we couldn't agree on what we needed to do as far as the decision we needed to make. And we'd prayed about it. And we'd sought the Lord. And and we still couldn't come to an agreement. And so we said, well, this is what we're going to do. We're under, we're under authority. So we've got a spiritual father and mother and Rod and Mary. So we said, we're going to call them. And here's what we said. Whatever Brother Rod says is what we're going to do. Because we knew something about Brother Rod. We knew, number one, he's spiritually minded. We knew, number two, he loved both of us. And we knew, number three, he wasn't going to take sides. I think we've done that twice. And Kelly's thinking right now, so... She don't know. A couple times, I kind of remember. You know why? Because love rejoices when the truth wins out. At the end of the day, God's truth is more important than my preference. And our relationship is more important than me being right and her being wrong. Way more important than that. So love rejoices when the truth wins the day. Amen? All right, look at that next point. A life-giving relationship filled with love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, this is, a powerful, this is a powerful statement here because it's just a direct quote, of course, from 1 Corinthians 13. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And, and the Lord really quickened something very important. He wouldn't let me escape from in my heart. This is what he said. He said, Keith... He reminded me of, of, of Jesus in the garden. I'm not Jesus in the garden. Jesus in the wilderness when the devil tempted Jesus. Y'all remember that? And do y'all remember what the devil did? The devil actually quoted scripture. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, he said, this is a scripture the devil quotes a lot. This is a scripture the devil quotes a lot. And this is what he said to me. He began to kind of unpackage that in my mind. He said, Keith, I want you to think about this idea here. Love never fails. Love never quits. Love never, never, never love endures. Love, you know, all this, this, the power of unending, uninterrupted, never giving up love. And this is what he said to me. He says, love never fails, but sometimes relationships do. And then he said this. He said, every life-giving relationship requires sacrifice. Marriage, relationship, friendship, church, it doesn't matter. Every life-giving relationship is going to require sacrifice. But then he said this to me, and this is where we're going to go right here for this moment. He said, but abuse is never the will of God. And he said, Keith, there are some Christian, and typically it tends to be women, there are some Christian women that the devil's quoting this verse to. Love never fails, love never gives up, love never walks away, love, 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 love. 
He said, the devil's quoting this verse of some Christian women that are in abusive relationships. And I'm not advocating divorce. That's not what I'm saying. But I am advocating safety. It is not the will of God for you to be abused. It's not the will of God. And that's not love. And sometimes you have to step back to a safe place so that you can cultivate a healthy relationship. But until you get safe, there's no hope for health. Did y'all hear me? And maybe you're watching online and you need to hear that. Maybe I don't know where you're at right now, but I want you to hear me today. Every relationship requires sacrifice, but abuse is never the will of God. So look at that last point. We're just going to wrap up with this. So a life-giving relationship is healthy, growing, and full of love. And this last point, again, the Lord just stirred my heart with it. He said, he said I want you to tell my people this. You are capable and you are worthy of being loved. You're capable and you're worthy of being loved. If you're here today and you're a child of God, guess what? You're capable of having healthy, growing relationships that are filled with the love of God. You're capable of that. And if you're watching online and you're a born-again believer, you're capable of experiencing the kind of love that God has. And here's the, maybe even the most important part, and that is that you're worthy of being loved. Because life has a way of beating us down. <laughs> and we've all seen it, and maybe you've experienced personally in your life. Life has a way of beating people down relationally to the point that they don't feel like they deserve to be loved. They don't deserve to be respected. They don't deserve to be valued. They don't have worth before God or before their own selves. At least that's what they think. And if you believe that lie that you're not worthy of love, then guess what will happen? You will automatically connect to people that will not love you. And you'll automatically connect to people that will abuse you. And you'll automatically connect to people that will take advantage of you. And you'll find yourself being pulled in the wrong direction over and over and over again all because you don't believe you deserve to be loved your worth is not in your performance your worth is in your existence you were created in the image of God you are valuable and you are worthy of love because God made you in his image and I just want us to bow our heads today And I want to just challenge us this morning. If you're here and maybe you're just struggling with that. Maybe you've been beat down by relationships. Maybe you've been hurt and you've been wounded and you've been rejected. And maybe somewhere in the back of your mind there's this repetitive thought that maybe you just really don't even deserve to be loved. I want to just shine the light of God's word over your heart this morning. And I just want to say the devil is a liar. And you have value. And you deserve love because Jesus died for you and gave himself that you could have life. And some of you just need to receive that. You're watching online and some of you right now all across the globe just need to receive that word from the Lord today. And let the love of God begin to wash over your heart and begin to remove that lie that says I don't deserve to be loved. You are worthy of love because Jesus died for you. The second thing I want to do as we get ready to close is maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, 
and you've never been born again. That's what Jesus called it. He said you must be born again. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We call it being saved, following Christ. At the end of the day, it's all about you believing in and accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made for your life and saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior from this moment on. See, without Christ, there is no agape love. Without Christ, you're not capable of experiencing that love because only God can give you that love. And it's, it's freeing. So if that's you right now, you say, Pastor Keith, I want to receive that agape love. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I've never been saved, but today is my day. I want to accept Christ. If that's you, just raise your hand all over this building. Just slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. If you're watching online, you can just hit that little hand emoji. You can type in the chat box. I'm raising my hand. But if that's you this morning, today I've never been saved, but today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know the love of God that changes everything. If you've never experienced it, I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm just talking about accepting the gift of God that comes from Jesus Christ and letting God do a work that only God can do. So let's pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody to say it out loud with me. If you're watching online, this is for you. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. If you're new to Liberty Church today, please stop on your way out. Grab a gift bag by the back door. That's our token of love and appreciation for you being with us today. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.